Thanks, Mensa. Um, so as I said, we're kicking off Advent. That's something that we've been doing for a few years here. Um, and if you don't know what that's all about, the word Advent means arrival. And the people in the Old Testament longed for an arrival, the arrival of Jesus Christ. We've decided that we're going to celebrate this as a site on the 25th of December. Be that as it may, whether he was born on that date or not, it's an important opportunity for us who follow Jesus to take time to make sure that we put attention on this immense arrival of Jesus. And we long for him to come back, but as we come to 25 December, the great tragedy for us would be that we don't take this opportunity to prepare our hearts for this immensity of Jesus coming into our world. That we're more focused on family arrangements, that we're more focused on gifts and we're more focused on cooking gammon than we are celebrating about the fact that Jesus came and dwelt among us. And so Advent is this sermon series that leads us up to Christmas where we make sure for some weeks that we just put our focus on Jesus, that we slow down and we fix our attention upon him. Uh, Jan L. Richardson, she made a quote. Um, I thought initially that it was actually a guy called Jan, but there's more chicks called Jan than guys called Jan in the world. Um, and she said this, that the season of Advent means there's something on the horizon, the likes of which we've never seen before. What is possible is to not see it, to miss it, to turn just as it brushes past you. So stay, sit, linger, tarry, ponder, wait, behold, wonder. There'll be time enough for running, for rushing, for worrying, for pushing. But for now, stay and wait. Something is on the horizon. And that's what Advent's all about. We're trying to slow everything else down and fix our attention upon Jesus. And so this series, we're going to do just that. And we've had a busy year in 2022, haven't we? Uh, many of us find ourselves in a very dry place. Many of us can think that what we really need is a holiday. But many of us remember that even as we came into 2022, many of us didn't come in leaping, full of energy, full tank of fuel, 10 goals, we're going to smash 2022. Many of us came in limping into 2022 at the start, reeling from 2020, 2021. And then many of us with a really difficult start to 2022 found everyone wants to jam-pack two years worth of stuff into one year. Ne? Churches, schools, you name it. We want to do everything. We want to have conferences. We want to have sporting events. We want to have double, triple what we ever have done before. And so we found we had a limp, limp of a start into 2022. And then we had a, the most busy year ever. And now we get into the end of 2022. And are we slowing down? No. What we find is we must squeeze things in. We must squeeze in our friends that we haven't seen. We must squeeze in more family events. We must squeeze in end-of-year functions. We've got to squeeze stuff in. And so many of us are in a place where we might not realize there is a war for our attention. Just like that notice, that notification on that phone, God is wanting to know if you'll be able to shut out every other thing and focus all your attention on Him. Advent's all about that because what we realize is a holiday is not going to restore our soul. We are in a dry place even spiritually because we haven't put enough emphasis on God. 
What we need goes so much deeper than a holiday. What we need is the one who made our soul. And so today's sermon is called A Song for the Thirsty. And we're going to be looking at Psalm 42 together, and we're going to see how God nourishes our soul. And so you can, you can open up with me. We're going to read Psalm 42 together, and I'm going to give you my points. It says this, to the choir master, a muskil, that's a type of a song, of the sons of Korah, verse 1. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before my God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go into the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. So why are you cast, cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you, from the land of Jordan and Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls out to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is within me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where's your God? So why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So we've got a bit of a different, not the normal James Rura sermon. We've got a pastoral one here. It's about how God wants to meet you in your thirst. And so five things for the thirsty. If you want five steps for us who are thirsty this time of year, the first thing we need to do for us is realize your thirst. The second thing is to release your burdens to God. Thirdly, to reorder our desires. I'm very proud of these re's, by the way. <laughs> Fourthly, recite what is true. Take pictures, you get into heaven quicker. And fifthly, remember your savior. So realize your thirst, release your burdens, reorder your desires, recite what is true, remember your savior, and you'll find yourself nourished. So firstly, we need to realize our thirst. At the beginning, we read this heading to the choir master, a muskil, that's a type of a song of the sons of Korah. Now we might not know what that means. They were worshipers, according to First Chronicles. They were guys that led the procession of worship and the feasts in Israel. But when he says, when shall I come before my God, he is speaking about longing to literally come into God's presence. What we find in the Old Testament is to worship God and be in his presence, you had to come to the temple. That was the place where God's presence dwelled. And he had the opportunity to lead people in that year on year. But at the moment, he finds himself not in God's presence and he longs for it. We know that he's not in Israel because he says, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan. 
And so this is a guy that used to be in God's presence all the time, but now he finds himself away from God's presence. And he misses that. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. And then he speaks about how he would go with the throng. He would lead them in procession in the house of God with glad shouts of praise. In short, he longs for the people of God, but he longs most of all for the presence of God. And the psalmist is physically, geographically, socially isolated from God. And his symptom is spiritual thirst. In verse two, he says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. The psalmist feels it's not right until I'm in God's presence. And the same is true for you and I. We have a restlessness about us. We have a lack of peace within us until such time as we come into God's presence. There's a God-shaped hole in our hearts that can only be filled by God himself. And you will hear us talk more about this theme, but God's presence is central to our relationship with God. We must come to him. And what we need this side of this year is not a holiday, as good as that is, sea, bush, mountain, it's all good. But what we need is the presence of God. That's what we need. He says this, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. This is interesting. If you are a, a, a nature lover, if you're a Nat Geo nerd like I am, verses about animals stick out to me. And uh, I read them carefully. And it's interesting that it says, as the deer pants for flowing streams. It doesn't mean that uh, he's actually thirsty because he hasn't thought about drinking and now he's thirsty. They're not that daft that they don't think about how thirsty they are until they pant. What this is is that deer are very sophisticated animals. They can hear danger from far away, like four rugby fields, four football fields away. So they're always on the run from predators long before predators get to them and they're very prized prey. But the problem is that deer don't actually physiologically sweat. It's impossible for deer to sweat. The rest of mammals, that's how we emit heat. We sweat. They don't sweat because they would give off their scent. But eventually, after much running, because they don't sweat, too, they actually pant to give off heat. But when they pant, they give off a strong scent to predators. And so when the deer pants for water, he longs to get himself into water so that his scent can be hidden inside of that water and he can be safe from predators. And he cools down that way. And so it's a matter of thirst for some, but this is actually a matter of hiding in the presence of God. That for the deer and your soul knows as well that what you need is to be hidden in the presence of God. This is what you and I actually require. We need respite from this life. And for us, we need to know that the God is the, God's presence is not only for our nourishment, it's for our protection. Proverbs 18 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. So God isn't in the business of removing the circumstance of danger. He is in the business of hiding us in the midst of all that we face. And whatever you're facing today, you feel like you're attacked from every side, that you're at the end of yourself. God wants to know, will you come to him and be safe in him? He's the one that will keep you. He's the strong tower. In fact, it's, the word used for soul in verse one and two refers to our entire being. If you want just a part of yourself to be restored, a holiday will do you well. But if you want your whole self to be restored, 
we need to go to the one who made our soul. And we need to run to him. Because in his presence, not only are we fulfilled, we are safe in him. That in him we can hide. And so we see this, that we live in a time where we're very thirsty. In fact, just looking at the stats on work alone, which is just one part of the pie, um, we see some stats that uh, for burnout, this is an eight-country eight study, 63% of employees experience burnout. 40% of workers believe that they will face burnout inevitably. That's the rest of the 100, just so you know. 43% of workers report being exhausted always or often. 35% report being overwhelmed. 23% have depression related to their work. And actually, these stats are probably underrepresented because the people facing burnout are not going to fill out the survey. They've, they tapped out, right? And not as many studies are done for students, but they, I found an American 12-statewide uh, study that said 40% of students report feeling burnout as well. And there's other types of exhaustion to talk of. That's just work. We've got emotional exhaustion. We faced a lot of that over the last couple of years. We've got mental health problems. There's many other types of burnout and tapped outness, if that's even a word, that people feel and have felt. And so we live in a time where people are thirsty, but do they realize their thirst? And do they realize what their thirst is for? That their thirst is for God. And as you sit here, do you realize if you feel tapped out, do you realize that you're actually thirsty and that you're actually thirsty for God? That's step one for us. Step two for us, once we've realized that, we actually get a chance to release our burdens to God. Once we come into his presence, we can unpack some of those things. We see the psalmist say this in verse three. He starts unpacking. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. He has the time to unpack these things with God. Maybe that, that verse rings true for you. Maybe you're like, that's literally my life. I've cried day and I've cried night. Some of us, for some of us, we've wanted to, but we've held it back because we've got stuff to do. We've got to be a boss. We've got to be a dad. We've got to be a husband, be a mom. We feel like we've just got to get stuff done. But at some point, that damn wall is going to break. And we will find that we need to unpack these burdens on our soul. The psalmist takes the time to do that. And he says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. What is he doing? He's going to God and he's releasing his burdens. He's pouring out all of his soul. So this is an important one for the thirsty. And for some of us, we've experienced lots of forms of grief over the last couple of years. Grief isn't just that someone passed away. Grief is any form of loss. It's a common experience for any human being to face some form of grief. In this room today, we've got some grief going on. There's some loss when you're saying goodbye to a house, when you're saying goodbye to friends because they're going to another country, when you are experiencing any type of loss of your dreams, of your desires to come true. We face grief. But many of us are so busy doing, running from pillar to post and getting stuff done that we haven't even logged that we have grief. So we're not even getting to the stage where we can unpack where we are with God, because we don't even know where we are. But as we have actually realized our thirst and we've slowed down like Advent calls us to and look to God, some of these things come up and well up within us. And the question is, will you be brave enough to slow down, look to God, spend time in his presence and let the tears roll? I know that this is not 
an easy thing for us, especially us guys are brought up in a culture where that's not cool. Um, recently, we went to the Pilansberg. My, my wife and I went to the bush for six nights. We spent three nights with my folks in, um, in a game reserve there called Pilansberg. And on the way back, um, I was all in my thoughts, you know, and like you're on the long road, my wife is just quiet. I don't know if it's like this in all marriages, but one person drives, one person sleeps. Um, that's how it is with us. I don't know. You guys are confirming this is a true fact. Uh, so I drive, she sleeps. Um, even on the way to work, it's like 20 minutes she can sleep. It's amazing. Incredible gift that she has. And, and a burden that I bear, uh, that I unpack before the Lord and the saints right now. But um, it, was, it was a moment where I was, my wife was quiet, the songs were sad, and what was going in my mind was my parents were just saying goodbye to me. There were tears in their eyes as they were saying goodbye because they were staying there for another three nights. We were going. And I would never give this a second thought usually. I'm like, cool, they're just emotional, whatever. They just cry. What's wrong with them? But as I was sitting there in the car all alone in my thoughts, I thought about the fact that their heart longs to be with us and time is precious and time is short that who knows how many years they have left? Who knows how many years Laura and I will still be in the same country? Who knows how many times we will still drive together in that game park? And all the memories that we have from when I was in grade two till now, will I even be able to go into that game reserve and be emotionally okay if they weren't there? And I started to think about these things, not because I'm just like melancholic, but because I was starting to log the fact that there was something about I'm becoming a dad, but I haven't yet processed that there's something about being a son that I don't want to let go of. And this precious time with my dad, as I'm becoming a dad, that I don't even have it all figured out and I can't even articulate it to you guys. But there was something profound about logging the preciousness of time that happened when I was in the car on the long road. And the tears rolled. My wife wouldn't know, but there they were. Only God could console me. So these things I poured out to him. And there was something about God saying, you're my son. I'll never let you go. That he'll hold together my heart. I don't even know if that's profoundly what he said. But the point is, I was enough alone with my thoughts, processing with God to actually log something important for me. And I wonder if we would take the bravery to do an actionable step like setting aside time. It doesn't have to be on holiday. It could just be in your porch, in a, just going to Walter Sisulu Gardens or some park. It could just be in your room with a coffee with the window open. And just log, how are you doing in your soul? And ask the question, how am I and where is God in this? It is important for us so that we unpack our burdens. Some of us, like when our friends come with issues, we are too quick to say, don't worry about it. God's got it. He's sovereign. Not letting them first speak their heart out. Sometimes the heart needs to speak until the heart has spoken all that it needs to say. And at that point, there's something therapeutic where God comes into that. The psalmist says that deep calls out to deep. Sometimes something needs to come out of the depths of our soul so that the depths of God's presence can minister into that place. 
And what we've done for the last couple of years is we've stopped just short of facing it. But what we've done is a disservice. What we need is for deep to cry out to deep so that God can come and his waves and his breakers can wash over us. That's what we need. We need to be nourished in that way. We, don't need, a, we need the depths of our emotion to be revealed, not the surface level. Don't just settle for, I'm anxious. Why am I anxious? What do I fear? What is the thing that I cannot face? Don't just settle for, I'm tired. Why am I tired? What is exhausting me today? And what's the thing that's overwhelming me? Try and get to the root emotion and let that come out to God so that he can minister to us. We want to release our burdens to him. Now, some of you are like, this is, this is an awkward preach. Can we like not move on? Can't we have a nice Christmas sermon? Uh, but the thing is that to get to the depths of God, some of us need to just be quiet. We need to realize our thirst for him. We need to unpack our burdens before all of that. And if we've done that, if we've released our burdens, something beautiful happens where God helps us to reorder our desires, which is heading number three. That as we have come there to God, he helps us to reorder things from important and unimportant and sift through it. I mean, thinking about this, let's just look at verse five. He goes from a questioning of his emotions. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? But then listen to this turn of phrase, how he goes and he shifts thoughts. And he says, hope in God, for I shall praise him again. Do you see how rapid that shift is? As he unpacked how he felt with God, he felt the need to reorder his plan of action. I shall praise him. I shall hope in him. There's a reordering of desires that happens there. Just going back to the thirst analogy, how much do you think about water on a regular basis? Well, if you're not thirsty and you're a normal person, you probably don't think about water. Unless you're like a fitness freak and you've got your number of liters that you have to have, then you think about the quota. But the rest of us, we don't actually picture and think about water on a regular basis until we're actually thirsty. But when you're thirsty, it's the only thing you drink of. You see cups, you see, you see water in everything, and you just want to drink. In fact, water is the thing that you want the most when you're really thirsty. If you're a little bit thirsty, then you want a Coke or whatever your drink is that you dig, maybe a cold beer. But if you're really running a marathon and you're dehydrated, you want water. And it's the only thing you can think about and you want the pure thing. What that, when you have that sip of water when you're thirsty, there's nothing more satisfying in the world because it's the thing that you most need. And likewise, in the same way, God is only experienced as satisfying to us when he's our real need and we realize we really want him. And so God's purposes for us in a dry place, in this barren place, is to show us he's the one that we need. He's the one that we require. So it's a painful gift, but he's showing us all other fountains fall short of nourishment. But God only is the one that fulfills our soul. And so there's a way in the dry place that we start to reorder our desires. So if you're feeling dry, God wants to know if you're willing to reorder the way December looks for you. That the, of primary importance would be that you seek out the God and taste and see that the Lord is good. It happens through practical steps. It happens through prioritizing that we must be in church. That's what the psalmist longed for, remember? He wanted to be with God's people in God's presence. So we need to prioritize saying, 
I thirst and I must come to be with God's people in church. I must spend time with God's people. I must spend time in prayer speaking to the only God who can hold together my soul and nourish it. I must spend time in God's word because there's some nourishment that comes from God's word that is irreplaceable. God wants to know an application for us if we're willing to reorder this December drastically and say, but what I need is God. And so I'm putting that in number one and number last in my priorities. That's what I'm going to focus on. And other things can chuck, but I will not be anywhere without God. God's going to be the number one. And so we have, a, after unpacking our desires, we're not stopping there. After unpacking our emotions, we need to reorder. Where do we go from here? And as we do, th do that, often our emotions lead us down paths that aren't helpful. So step four for us in a dry place is to recite what is true. He, he starts to recite things that are true in the psalm. He starts to say things like, by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. Where does that come from? He was just talking about what, what is wrong with my soul and why am I downcast? He pipes up from nowhere, by, law, by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. Maybe you saw in the psalm, there's a sad note and then there's a note of hope. There's a sad note and there's a note of hope. Well, what he's doing is he's reciting true things that he knows objectively about his God in the midst of his situation. And this is an important one for us because if we fixate only on how we feel, sometimes our emotions lead us down an unhealthy place and we start to believe lies about where God is, what's happening with me and what's happening with my situation. We start to believe lies that maybe God doesn't care, maybe my situation will never improve, should not improve, maybe we believe lies about myself, like I actually deserve this. Our emotions lead us down paths that aren't helpful and what we need to do is not just to feel our feelings and sit there, what we need to do is to actually at some point take ourselves in hand and start reminding our heart of things that our heart seems to be forgetting right now. That we need to start reciting things that are true objectively to inform our heart of things that at the moment it's forgotten. And so I don't really have time in this sermon to unpack all the emotions that we could feel and all the ways that we could recite what is true, although next year a bunch of that will happen. But just briefly, I just wanted to give some stuff on this. So if we feel afraid that God's not going to come through for us, we might want to remind ourselves of Isaiah 35, that it says, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, behold, God will come. Your God will come with vengeance and the recompense of God. He will come and he will save you. If you have started to believe the lie that God has abandoned you, you might want to remind yourself of Isaiah 41, which says, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. If we've started to believe the lie that God's not going to provide for us this month, he's going to leave us, we might want to remind ourselves of Matthew 6. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? If you started to believe the lie that God will never take you back, we might want to remind ourselves of the truth of Psalm 27. For my father, my lover, my mother may forsake me, but the Lord will take me me in. If we feel that we've believed a lie that we're damaged beyond repair, we might want to remind ourselves, Psalm 147, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And the point is this, at some point, 
We need to stop just listening to our heart. At some point, we need to start preaching to our heart. We need to start preaching to our heart things that are true from the Bible, things that are indisputable about our God, because that takes us in hand and it lifts our gaze. What is Advent about? It's about lifting our gaze to Jesus. And as we look full in his wonderful face, the things of the earth grow strangely dim in the light of his wonder and grace. And he sifts through our emotions, false from true. But the most important thing we need to remind ourselves in, in the thirsty season, I feel so thirsty just preaching this message. I've said the word thirst like a zillion times. When I get down there, I'm going to down that whole water. But the most important thing we need to remind ourselves in, in the dry season is to remember your Savior. To remember your Savior. Verse 5 and verse 11 says, Hope in God, for I shall praise Him again. But then it says this, my salvation and my God. That's the last line of the psalm. My God's going to save me. That's his hope. My God's a savior. That's who he is. This is where I'm at, but I know who my God is. He's a savior. And so we need to remind ourselves of our savior. There are lots of parallels in this passage to Jesus. Just to point out a few. This guy speaks about how he, he had to go up to Mount Mazar. Well, we have a Savior who climbed Mount Calvary. He went there for us to suffer and to die for us. In this psalm, we have this guy saying, yeah, I'm far from home. I'm not where I belong. Well, we have a Savior who went from his home in heaven, left the riches of heaven to come to us on earth in order to have a great exchange happen where he comes to people that that don't deserve heaven, and he brings them into the opportunity to come where shouldn't be our home in heaven because the God of heaven came down to earth. This is what Advent is all about. We see the great exchange. In this passage, we have this mockery of God. It says, the people say to me all day long, where is your God? Well, Jesus was also mocked and scorned. On the cross, we read this. If you really are the son of God, come down from the cross people were tempting him mocking him if you really are God the same thing that Satan said in the wilderness if you really are the son of God but Jesus was not going to shortcut his suffering to prove his divinity he was going to prove his divinity through suffering and he was going to go the full course that he was going to suffer worse than any man ever could suffer because he loved you so much because he couldn't bear to see people like you and me without the fullness of God, that for the hope set before him, he endured the cross and he endured its shame, that he went through the full thing. He was determined to suffer, determined to suffer for you and me so that we might never say we don't have a God that doesn't understand. We don't have a God that doesn't love us. In every way, he was tempted and tried and he suffered for us on the cross. But the most important parallel is this in the passage. My soul thirsts for the living God. That's in the psalm. Well, the fifth phrase that Jesus said from the cross was, I thirst. And it was the last thing that he said before he said, it is finished. Listen to this in John 19. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine and hyssop branch and held it to his. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. 
and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Here at the very end of Jesus' difficult crucifixion, he says, the last thing he says before everything's finished, I thirst. He experienced total dehydration, but this goes beyond physical water. This is a spiritual dehydration where he is thirsting for the living God, where what he really needs is respite. He's like the deer that's coming. All the predators are against him. He's gonna get slaughtered. He comes to the water like he always has. He comes to his father in heaven, the only one who ever really truly deserved to have God save him. And what does God do? He turns his face away from his own son. And Jesus experiences a thirst of coming to God and being turned away. Another thing in this psalm is, why have you forsaken me? Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a thirst that Jesus experienced on the cross that we will never have to experience because he did it for us. Because he faced this final thirst of being turned away from God's presence in his time of of greatest need, you know in exchange for that as you are a child of God that at your moments of greatest need you will never be turned away. That as you come to God you will always be drawn in because the father has already forsaken his own son and let him face the thirst of hell so that you can drink and be nourished. And so there's a great exchange that's happened. And then he said, it is finished. Do you log how important this thirst thing is for Jesus? If he experienced the thirst and the next thing is, I've done my work. You must know today as you sit here in a dry place that the invitation stands because Jesus paid the full price for you to come and be nourished by the Father. Jesus said in John 4, everyone who drinks of this physical water, they're gonna be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling into eternal life. Because Jesus faced the thirst, he offers the water that comes from him. And that offer comes for you who are worn out today, for you who might be at the end of yourself, for you who might be anxious, for you who's in a dry season. God says, I have living water for you. And he gets the invitation in John chapter seven. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and let him drink. And that's the invitation for us today. And so I'm gonna ask you guys to stand with me. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna share in a family moment of communion. We're gonna have bread and we're gonna have juice. It's gonna be all about Jesus' body. And we're gonna appreciate that what our Savior went through on the cross to buy us the opportunity to drink from him. And so I'm gonna ask you guys to head on through, go to the stations, go get your water, go get your bread, maybe get for your friend next to you as well. The band's actually gonna sing over us. We're gonna sing I Thirst and we're gonna take that together in a moment. Go for it.